So thanks again, Bill, for hopping on and being a part of uh, the Humans of International Education experience. Uh, I know it's been a while since we've uh, taped your conversation, but uh, I'm so excited again to just reshare your story uh, with the international education community because I think, again, the, uh, I'll say, adventures that you've been on, I think, are so reminiscent of uh, all the, the great reasons why people get involved with international education be, uh, to begin with. Um, and again, I can't thank you enough for being a part of this journey with us. So I would love just to uh, know a little bit more about you, some of your professional experiences and, um, you know, just a, a proper introduction to who Bill Clabby is and uh, some of the pieces of your story that that's so special about you. It's very nice of you to say so, Bradley. Thank you very much. So I am Bill Clabby. I started my journey, I'll call it, 40 years ago. Um, my first study abroad program was a year in France, in Bordeaux, France. Taught me so much about uh, living in another culture, learning another language. And at the end of it, it taught me that I wanted to do something more different and see what I could do to contribute to the world. So after graduation, I, uh, well, during, when I got back, I was asked to live at the International Center. I was in charge of sort of uh, global speakers. And then I graduated. My, my wife and I had met the year before France. And when I came back, we were still going out. We, we sat on the lawn and talked about what we wanted to do in life. And we both were thinking about Peace Corps for different reasons. And so that was like a moment where like our destinies met, you know. And uh, so we, we got married um, about a year later and we uh, joined the Peace Corps, said we'd go anywhere in the world. And we were sent to uh, Senegal, West Africa, because we both spoke French. And that was a great experience living in a, in a small village, uh, no electricity, no running water. But it taught me how much of the world lives. And it also taught me what I'm capable of and where, where I'm not so so strong, maybe. Uh, so that's <laughs> both of those are really important lessons. So came back, uh, got a job at UC San Diego where I'd gone as an undergrad. And my first job there was um, sort of technical. So I, I was building computer networks, learning how to program, doing that kind of stuff for about a year and a half. And a job opened at the International Center. I got the job as an advisor and loved it. And so I got to do all kinds of fun things with that, using the technical as well as the, um, the cultural and linguistic. And so I um, uh, worked there for 17 years. And then I uh, got became director of the Opportunities Abroad program. And then in 07, I was offered a job at ISA, International Studies Abroad. And my, my job there was I was in charge of research and strategic alliances. So I got to do really interesting things with reaching out to a wide range of diverse institutions. I got my master's in just before that, which sort of gave me groundwork in how universities work and then um, was able to apply that from a provider side. And uh, I learned about the, the responsibilities of being a provider and of hosting students abroad. There's a pretty strong level of responsibility that I thought was an important lesson for me among many others. And then um, after six years there, I got a job at St. Edwards University as their SIO, as the Associate Vice President for Global Initiatives, and was able to build their network and build new programs and did some really interesting things, especially with France and Japan, and uh, worked with Asia Pacific University in, in Japan and with um, uh, Université Catholique de l'Ouest in Angers, France. And uh, that was a great opportunity to, to see from a private university standpoint 
how do you build programs and how do you build a network and we also did a lot of online uh, connections uh, we had 70 in the end 75 or 80 online classrooms where faculty could connect with other people so we um, we did that and then uh, three years ago I took a job at uh, back in California uh, at UC Irvine and um, I had a couple jobs there director of the study abroad center and then I was in charge of the um, uh, working with international delegations as well as global programs. COVID hit, and what that did for me was my global programs, um, we had to pivot to, to switching to online, which actually was a great a positive thing because we were able to get people that we would never have gotten on campus. So we did a lot more programs. And so that was a really fun thing. The, the delegations I did for a while until COVID hit, and then that all dried up. But you know, I was still in communication with people so through all of that, uh, and I retired, <laughs> retired a few weeks ago. So um, almost forgot I, to mention. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so I'm I'm working with you know the global, um, sorry the uh, um, uh, Center for Global Education, uh, Gary Rhodes' work, um, working with other partners, um, uh, the um, <laughs> Gateway International Group is the other one. Uh, and then just colleagues. I'm on the board of ICEP and, and also with Kappa. And so I'm, I'm staying connected. Um, as you said, I'm working really hard, uh, working, living with our daughter and her husband. She's going to have a baby in a week. And uh, so mm -hmm. and we're helping them with their house. And so getting to do a lot of fun things. And I'm trying to stay connected globally, too. So um, that's that's me in a nutshell, if, if I could put it. Wow. In I guess the only question I have for you still, though, is, is there anything you can't do? <laughs> <laughs> An awful lot. Unfortunately, there's a lot I can't do. But what I what I want to be able to focus on because of uh, my background and the gifts God gave me is uh, foreign languages. I love foreign languages. Um, and I'm, I've already started working on Hebrew um, and also um, staying connected with really good, uh, especially citizen diplomacy groups like Senate. Uh, Sister Cities International, Global Austin, uh, International Visitors Council, groups like that that are doing really interesting work. So I'm staying connected and um, help, hoping to do some more writing. Um, it's only been a few weeks since I retired, so I haven't had that much time to, to put pen to paper or, or type it. But, uh, but yeah, that's, those are some things I'm looking forward to. Yeah, but, but absolutely, I mean, you're clearly very well experienced with a number of things and uh you know i think writing and and actually producing some of that content for the international education i mean i can only imagine the lessons that you that you've been able to experience firsthand through so many of your roles and especially at times like these too right where international education has uh had quite a hurdle thrown in its way with uh covid virus and uh working around how we can still provide that experiential learning for students um, and that exposure to different cultures. And, and you've mentioned some of your online work and some of the other things that you've done to help still keep those connections uh, alive. Um, and uh, I think anyone would, you know, would really benefit from connecting with you and, and learning more about what it takes to keep that connection alive. Um, and, and I'm really excited to share your story, Bill. I think, you know, we've only covered the surface here and some of the highlights. Uh, but coming right behind this cliff is going to be a whole bunch of great stories of uh, the times in uh, Senegal and, and the times in the woods and maybe some of those moments like you mentioned before where, you know, not playing to my strengths, but more just figuring it out, right? <laughs> yep. There's a lot of that. A lot of figuring it out. Mm -hmm. and, and in fact, yep. I say, uh, the people who do this work 
are some of the most flexible, intelligent, um, caring people I've ever met. And it's that has been an amazing opportunity and a, and a great blessing to be able to work with people who really do care about others and who um, have found ways to bring people together. So I want to, I am uh, committed to that as I know you are and, and all of my colleagues, all of our colleagues in this field are really special people. And so um, it's, it's really very easy to, uh, to want to stay engaged. And I've just got to probably get disciplined so that I'm able to engage as, as much as possible. Yeah, well, I, you certainly have enough on your plate um, already just a couple weeks out of retirement, Bill. I think you have you have plenty of time to put pen to paper, like you said, right? But uh, uh, I think uh, being being a grandfather first, uh, and then you also mentioned building a house at some point and then helping with a move. Um, yeah. I, I can't think of, uh, I don't know where you're going to fit a manuscript in there, but I would be, <laughs> be amazed if you did. <laughs> I'll, I'll find a way. It, it may not be as yeah. good as it could be, but... Well, it'll be something. So I'll do my yeah. best. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, well, I'm excited, Bill. I'm excited to share your story. And again, I can't thank you enough. Um, I do think, like you said, the theme of the flexibility and I'll, I'll say even the innova innovation that comes um, from those who work in, in international education, uh, especially during these times, is something that we should celebrate and, and bring to the forefront even more so because um, just because times are hard right now, it doesn't mean that's how they'll always be. And uh, I'm a big believer in uh, obstacles just being opportunities for something better. And like you said, knowing the people that are working in the space and knowing how hard and how passionate everyone is about creating those experiences for students, just like we've experienced ourselves through our own um, uh, experiences with other cultures and, and learning more about the world around us. Um, I think it's just something we'll, we'll continue to celebrate and, and we should continue to promote. So I think your story is a great highlight of all that, uh, figuring it out and working with the best. Um, so uh, everyone, if you'd like to hear Bill's story, stay tuned. It's coming right behind us. Uh, this is a conversation we recorded uh, back at the last forum that we could all meet together in person. So it seems kind of like a fitting time for, the, for us to have recorded it, um, looking back in hindsight. But, uh, but thanks again, Bill. Um, Thank excited you, to share your story. And what's the best way for people to uh, connect with you if they want to hear about some of the projects you're working with or even collaborate on some of the projects you're working on? Yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn or my email is bclavy at uci.edu, University of California, Irvine. So um, either of those will reach me. And um, so, yeah, if you're if you're interested in collaborating somehow, um, I'm, I'm really pretty open at the moment to, to what I do. Uh, and I like I got somebody's dissertation that I'm reading, uh, hoping to be able to uh, learn something from that and also share some insights. And um, as I said, working with Center for Global Education and, and uh, Gateway International Group are two really good groups of, of amazing professionals that I look up to a lot. And um, so there are a lot of ways to find me, but um, but the email address is probably a simple one to, to reach out. Thank you so awesome. much, Brad. Well, I, well, I really appreciate it. It's, uh, yeah, it's of course, of course. So. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, it's, well, I consider it a, a great honor to be one, be one of the people who can hear your story and uh, and share myself. I, I tell you, I don't, I don't care where I end up in this life. Um, you know, my my children will hear about the adventures of Bill Clavy, <laughs> their own <laughs> their own motivation. Let me tell you, you'll be a man of mystery in the Adams oh, household. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, I'm, I certainly wish you the best and your children the best when, when they come on the mm -hmm. scene. And uh, mm -hmm. we all want to see people uh, experience uh, the rest of the world and bring it closer together. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Absolutely, Bill. We'll make sure to link for your contact information uh, as a part of this, too. So for those of you looking to reach out to Bill, uh, we'll make sure his contact details are provided, as well as some of the organizations that he's, he's probably working with. Um, and so with that, uh, let's uh, introduce that conversation. Thanks again, Bill, and uh, looking forward to next time we can uh, hang out. Thanks so much, Bradley. I appreciate it. All right. All right take care. Awesome. Thanks, Bill. I, I, so I will record it just because my memory is not going to remember no all of it. No problem. Um, but so I always, I start with a question, what was your first travel memory? Mm. So my first international experience, other than Tijuana, Mexico, because I grew up in San Diego, mm -hmm. was uh, to France. Mm -hmm. And I spent a year at the University of Bordeaux in uh, southwest France. And so I landed in Paris and we had an orientation there for three days. And I remember many details of that. I remember um, <laughs> buying a, a, an elephant from a guy who was Senegalese. I didn't even know where Senegal was at the mm -hmm. time, but he sold me an elephant and I wanted something like 65 francs. And I ended up paying five. Wow. And because uh, and, I love to bargain. Yeah, help anyway, negotiate. I remember that. It was right at the Eiffel Tower mm -hmm. and I was starstruck. I'm here at the Eiffel Tower and throughout junior high and high school, I always drew the Eiffel Tower. Oh, really? I never thought I would go to France, mm -hmm. but for some, my sister went to France, and then when I got to college, I thought, hey, that was a great thing she did. I'm going to do that, too. Wow. So, so my first experience was studying in France. Studying in France. Yeah, so. and I spent 12 months there. Wow, and so that was a study abroad program you did through your, your University of California Education Abroad Program. Wow, yeah. so you're not only uh, now an active contributor yes, to it, I but am. you're also an alumni. Yes, I am. Wow, full circle. Yeah, full so circle. Good. You gotta go? Yes, All right, good to see you. Nice seeing you, Bill. Hopefully, we'll see you tomorrow. We'll okay. be walking okay. around the party, too. I'm yeah. looking forward to it. Awesome. Okay. See you guys. Yeah. See you later, Alan. Um, so even stepping before that, like so, uh, growing up, okay. did you have any type? So you said you went to Tijuana oh, yeah. as a kid. So I lunch. grew up in San Diego, and I was 15 minutes from the border of Mexico. Mm -hmm. So I would go down to Tijuana, mostly for um, like I'd have relatives in town. We'd go down there to see the city or something. Mm -hmm. And so it was more of a a, a, a radically different culture and an environment mm -hmm. that I saw and was intrigued by as a kid. Okay. Now, in sixth grade, I had a Spanish class with my sixth grade teacher, and he'd never taught a language before. Oh, really? But what I discovered was, even though he was a terrible language teacher, I loved languages. Uh -huh. I loved learning Spanish. Now, I only had six months of it. So in junior high, I studied, and I didn't want to study the same thing everyone else did. Everyone else took Spanish. Yeah. I took French. Oh, wow. So I took French for three years, and then I took German in high school. And then when I went to college, I decided I was going to go to France, so I studied French again and, and got to a certain level. And all my classes were in French when I studied in France. So that was, the language was part of the thing that brought me there, and it's because I love languages. Mm -hmm. So when I got to France, that was my goal get as fluent in French as I possibly could be. Wow. And so that was what I focused on, really. Mm -hmm. And then I came back, started working as an intern at the International Center at UCSD, mm -hmm. and I lived upstairs, and they had an apartment. And so they had um, two guys lived in an apartment, two girls lived in an apartment, and we served different activities at the center. So I did that, and then um, another th thing that was a thread in this was 
this is before the internet. Mm -hmm. So I'd gone out with a girl for a year, mm -hmm. and then we wrote letters. We oh. wrote them on aerograms, which you've probably never seen an aerogram. It's no like idea. paper. Yeah. It's like one piece of paper that folds up like an envelope, has a little stickiness, and so it becomes its own envelope. You just write all over it. And I, we wrote aerograms, and I had one phone call home in 12 months. Wow. And so it was really a different world then than mm -hmm. it is now where you can FaceTime anytime you well, want. Well, it's almost like its own abroad experience to some extent because you're just so disconnected and removed that you know, you're not talking to your parents or the, those who are familiar to you every day. So you're really kind of forced to say, I need to be independent. I need to be, you know, and I, I say the word strong loosely because, you know, I think we mentally prepare these things in our head to be so it's such a big deal. But when you really go through them, you're like, actually, that wasn't that much of a big deal at all, but I still had to kind of pursue through it. So you got that experience kind of right away. And you said yeah. this was after your time in French or was it France or was this beforehand? That the internship that you were Oh, doing. the internship was after. After, okay. So, so you yeah. already had some independence. I'd already been in France and then mm -hmm. I got to do that. And the other thing that happened was, so over that year, I met a lot of African students yeah. in France. Mm -hmm. And they told me about Peace Corps volunteers that they'd met, yeah. that had been high school teachers for them, and mostly high school teachers. And they all had a, a lot of good things to say about Peace Corps. Well, at the time, I didn't even know if Peace Corps still existed. Yeah. So I get home, and I go back to my girlfriend that I'd been going out with, and we're sitting on the, on the lawn at UCSD, memorizing the map of Africa for a class yeah. of all things. And I said, um, I stopped, I go, what do you want to do in life? Wow. And she goes, um, well, you know, while you were gone, I took a class on, on um, world hunger. And, and we were studying what are the causes of world hunger, what are solutions of world hunger. And so I found the solutions are better with grassroots organizations that mm -hmm. help people have the skills themselves. Mm -hmm. And one of the groups I studied was Peace Corps. So I was thinking about Peace Corps. Wow. So I'm going, hmm. Okay. So I said, well, I never told you about this, but I met a lot of African students when I was in France, and, I, and I, they talked about Peace Corps, and I was thinking about Peace Corps. So there was this moment, our destinies met, wow. and a year and a half later, we were married. A year and a half after that, we were in Peace Corps together. Wow. And so, because we both had been thinking that direction. Yeah. So that, um, and, and my interest in Peace Corps was... I want to do something more different than France. I want to see what I can do that helps the mm -hmm. world, and I want to see what I'm capable of. Yeah. Lived in a mud hut in a in a small village on an island in a remote part of Senegal, and uh, you know ate um, ate rice and fish out of a bowl, cooked over a three stone fire, um, in a mud hut. There's no electricity. It was before the internet, mm -hmm. and um, and we would eat with ten people out of one bowl with our right hands. The chickens would run in with her to try to get what drops and then we'd have to grab them and throw them out oh constantly because there'd be more yeah, of them coming in. Yeah, kept coming back. Yeah. And, and so that was where I lived in a small village in Africa. Wow. And uh, then when I came back, and what the great thing is we had a lot of time to talk. Mm -hmm. So we were thinking we could go anywhere in the world. We went back to San Diego and I got a job at UCSD. Wow. And, uh, and then a job opened up at the International Center. Mm -hmm. And so I, a field that I didn't really even think about. Yeah opened up and I got the job. Wow. And that was the start of my career. Wow. Was uh, an advisor at the, the Programs Abroad Office at UCSD. And so um, from that, you know, growing up at the border of Mexico, going to France, coming back, joining the Peace Corps, mm -hmm. coming back, and then having this opportunity was what started it. And then it was like, 
I mean, everybody should have this experience. Yeah. So I was passionate. Like everybody in this field is passionate about it. Yeah, absolutely. You ask anybody in study abroad. And so I'm surrounded by people, like-minded people, who all studied abroad mm -hmm. in, in some capacity, and we all loved it, and then you're, you're changing people's lives. So yeah. how could you not be passionate about that? Absolutely. Well, I think it's so interesting to me, too, because... When I'm always like, you know, doing these interviews, I see certain commonalities, right? And the one thing that's really consistent is no one actively thinks of international education as their career path. That's true. You know, it's kind of interesting because a lot of people, similar to your story, you know, obviously, because they're very, very different from others as well. But it's this, okay, I got this idea where something was curious. You know, there was this curiosity with the culture. I think language is such a great example of it because... You know, I think people get infatuated with the idea of another story, right, from a different lens. And I want people to talk through that, you know, and be able to understand that and see oh, yeah. the world from that person's perspective. Yeah. And having that shape so much that you're willing yeah. to push the boundaries, I mean, like even physically, because I'm sure there was times when you're in the Peace Corps where it was like, man... You know, I'm living in a mud hut, and my back is sore from all the nights on the I'm floor. Bitten by mosquitoes. Yeah, left and right, and it's like, yeah. what the heck did I sign up for? Yeah. But at the same time, there's never that lack of um, enthusiasm going through right. it because, at the end of the day, I think we used a really good summary for you know, what am I capable of? What can I do? And what is my potential? Yeah. And I think what's interesting about international education and travel in general is I think it really challenges people to say, there's more out there than me. Because yeah. that's really what it comes down to is yeah. how can I impact the world around me and how can I do that in not just the domestic way either but internationally. Um, and so I think it's interesting because you, then you fell into international education. Yeah. And now you're just empowering people all the time to go and do this. Yeah. Um, and now a question for you. Do, you. do you share your story often with students when they ask you about uh, their programs or do you get well, a chance to talk to them about it? I wouldn't say that I share it often with students but um, some brief – it's more like a resume, but super brief thing when you do a, uh, an orientation, mm -hmm. for example, and we introduce ourselves and I'll say, well, these are the things I did abroad. So it's less than what we're talking about now, mm -hmm. but with some people, then I do, especially if they're applying for Peace Corps mm -hmm. or they're wanting to go into the field. Mm -hmm. I spend a lot of time with those students. Absolutely. I love to help people find their niche because uh, in the field, as an advisor at an at a, um, international center at UCSD, and then um, volunteering abroad, working abroad. I taught in Japan. I did the JET program. Oh, wow. Um, my third year into the job, I took a year off. And my wife and I and our two little kids, who now are in their 20s, mm -hmm. uh, went to Japan wow. and taught. And uh, so, so I've had a chance to do different kinds of things. And so that makes me want to help other people figure out what's the best thing for them. Yeah. After UCSD, then I worked for a program provider. Mm -hmm. Worked for ISA for five years. And I got to see how you develop programs mm -hmm. and the, the mechanisms of it. How do you support students on programs? Mm -hmm. How do you do outreach to a bunch of universities? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, being at another university, a private university, I was at St. Ed's in Austin. Yep. And that was another opportunity to see how does a small university build programs versus a big university like yeah. University of California? So all of that has given me different sides of the of the viewpoint of what this is and has made me that much more excited about it. Yeah. So you found that your enthusiasm was almost built up more the more exposure you Absolutely. get to it. Wow, yeah. that's yeah. incredible. So it's that's been incredible. great to do that. So now with that in mind, so you mentioned you had two children that yeah. also participated. How did you feel that affected you as a parent, bringing your children oh. up like that? Well, in fact, because, 
So right, in fact, before we went to Japan, we decided we, we didn't have a lot of money, mm -hmm. and so but we bought a house and we had extra rooms, and we decided to rent rooms to international students. Mm -hmm. So we went to some of the English language schools in San Diego, and they have homestay programs. Yeah. So we had usually two students at a time, and they'd live with us for three to six months. That's awesome. And so over 25 years, we had probably 250 students okay. live with us. So our kids grew up with students from all over the world yeah. living under our roof and having dinner with us and having breakfast with us. Yeah. And so that was also, I was motivated by what I do for a living mm -hmm. and, and looking for a way to be able to express that because we couldn't go traveling all the time. And yeah. so we didn't have the, the Europe vacations. We had to drive to San Francisco and see sister and yeah. family vacations. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so, but this way we had the international students mm -hmm. in our home. Mm -hmm. And so that's one thing that was, uh, it changed what we did as a family. Mm -hmm. We did semester at sea as a family. Oh, wow. And uh, that was when they finally had a bigger ship in the summer. Mm -hmm. For a long time, they have a big ship in the semester and then a small one in the summer. I couldn't really take a whole semester off. Mm -hmm. But then for summer, I saved up my vacation, and then they had the full-size ship, and, and I went in 2003, um, is that right? Yeah, 2003, uh, on a voyage, and, um, and I ran the computer lab, so I did a staff position wow. there, and brought the whole family, mm -hmm. and so then we had three kids by then. Oh Our daughter God. wasn't born yet mm -hmm. in Japan, and so we did that. Wow. So that was a great experience. That's incredible. Well, it's interesting to me, too, because it became such a central part of not only who you were, but also your family. And yep. I think it's so cool because you, you ha I'm assuming you're obviously still married to the same, same yeah, wife. Yeah, I've been married 35 years. Oh my God. Well, yeah. and it's interesting because so I've been dating the same girlfriend for five years at this point. Excellent. And we started dating the freshman year of college and we actually traveled together. We did study abroad together. Oh, no Yeah, yeah, so That's we great. actually went to Sevilla together. And it was funny because nice. she was the one who got my butt in gear to go abroad. Oh yeah? Uh, because I was the student that came up to your office a week before the program date was oh, yeah. due and being like, hey. What do I need to do? Yeah, I got all this paperwork, <laughs> I got the application. Oh, we never run into that. Oh yeah, I bet. Um, <laughs> but so, and it was because she was essentially like, you know, hey listen, either you do this or like I'm going abroad without you. And I had always been fortunate because I, I think it's interesting how you mentioned being mobile with, you know, making trips to San Francisco because mm -hmm. my family was always scattered throughout New England. Um, okay. So I had grandparents in Vermont. We lived in Connecticut. Um, you know, I had uncles who were in New Hampshire, Virginia, South Carolina. So I, we were always on the road, it seemed yeah. like, doing some type of travel. So yep. I never feared travel necessarily right. because one of the things that happened when I applied to go abroad is I didn't really tell my parents I was doing it. And so all of a sudden my parents were like, wait, you're going to live in Spain for four months? Like, what? When are you going to, when are you going to bring us by us? Yeah. I was like, oh, no, I have an internship. I'll pay for it that way. It'll be fine. I'll figure it out. Whatever. And they're like, you're not afraid? You're not nervous to be in, you know, international? I was like, no, no. Like, what is it? What's yeah. the big deal? I'm going to Spain. Like, yeah. it's beautiful there. Um, Did they make you nervous? Um, I, I wouldn't say they made me nervous. Yeah. Um, but I think like any parent, you know, yeah. who, because my dad, it was interesting. My dad is pretty, uh, pretty well-traveled. Um. He went abroad when he was in college um, for mm -hmm. a little bit. He, I don't think he did a full semester, but he had a couple international trips he did. He went to yeah. France for a little bit. He grew up in Vermont too, so Canada yeah. was right there. So yeah. he would always joke about the old days where he would have a buddy who had a farm that was half in Canada and half in Vermont. So oh, they yeah. would go steal his dad's farm truck, drive through into Canada, <laughs> go get wrecked on the uh, whatever their yeah. party street was, yeah. and then crawl their way back to the Vermont border. <laughs> um, so he was always very well uh, well suited for travel and very supportive yeah. of it because even in his professional life, he traveled a lot. So he went to Japan, he went to China. 
mind. Afraid of what you would do. Yeah. Knew what he did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And we would always get into that because I'd be like, Dad, you made all these mistakes, but I can't even go do this. And yeah. he's like, oh, there, it's the reason I made these mistakes. Um, but, you know, discussion for a different day. Yeah. Um, but uh, so she so she really put my button gear to, to, mm-hmm. to go to take that jump. Um, nice. And uh, her parents are from the Azores. So oh, her yeah. father actually was born in Sao Miguel and he came oh, over wow. with his family when he was three. Oh, nice. So they have quite a bit of kind of like almost a little bit more of an international culture, I would say, than I was used to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was funny because now it's like we travel together and I mean, I, I fully expect that we'll get married at some point soon. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting how that travel can, you know, really not only like, uh, I would say expose what, what you're thinking, mm-hmm. but also help better connect you to a person you're traveling with. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's so interesting that you and your wife were just sitting on that hill yeah. and awesomely now you said, you, I think you said it really well, destiny's tied. Yeah. And now it's here 30 some 30 plus yeah, years 35 later. 35 and a half years later. Oh my goodness. Yep. Um, and I'm sure still the adventure is still continuing. Oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, we love travel. Oh yeah. yeah. And we love <laughs> meeting people from other countries mm-hmm. and you know, we still speak French. We still speak Jola, sometimes Wolof. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Senegal, and oh, uh, so it's a, uh, and she speaks. She never studied Spanish, but we visited our son in Chile when he was studying abroad, mm-hmm. and uh, because of the French, she found it easy, like I did, to yeah. learn Spanish, mm-hmm. and uh, so we even speak Spanish sometimes. So, wow, yeah, wow, so that's fun. that's one thing I know. I'm the uh, the limiting factor in the language oh, barrier yeah. because for whatever reason, my mouth doesn't always yeah. agree with a foreign language. It's not, it's not everybody's gift. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the thing that was probably, if I could go back, and it's funny because I'll talk to my friends who or younger students who are thinking about going abroad, yeah. and I have the same regret that everyone else does, which is I wish I spoke the language more. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think part of that, though, is finding a group that supports the language. Yeah. Uh, because especially now, I think, and maybe not so much true, um, because I think more people focus internationally on abroad, um, where now it's so available, I think, to some extent, yep. where it's easy, where with our program, when we studied abroad, we had 20 English-speaking students traveling with us. Yep. So it doesn't really push you nearly right. as much out of your boundaries to go learn those languages and yep. connect those things. And I was always kind of the one in the group to say, hey guys, let's stop speaking English, let's just yeah. speak Spanish and see how far we get. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, Bradley, your Spanish sucks, so yeah. like, no, you should shut up. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah help, but at least I'm trying. At least I'm get trying. You going. Yeah. Yep. So, um, but, so it, it's it's always something that I will, will regret. Mm-hmm. And we're already, right now... It's not too late. No, it's not. You and I've, I've, engaged. I know, Well, it's actually funny, because so I live in uh, with a couple of roommates uh, in an apartment still, mm-hmm. and uh, one of my roommates uh, is speaks Spanish as a primary language. Oh, and really? And secondary Spanish. Uh, English so now uh, opportunity there you go and um, even another one of my roommates he speaks I wouldn't say he's fluent but he's conversational I would say Mm -hmm. and so we've gotten to the point now where we have like our smart home technology that all speaks to us in Spanish now so we're always trying to like oh is it this is it this how is it structured how do I saying this right am I doing so it's it is getting better we just started this process um, but we're planning kind of a reunion a broad trip uh, and uh, next year to go back to Sevilla with a bunch of people we studied abroad with that's so great. I'm like, I want to go back there. I want yep. to connect with our host mom and be able to have a real conversation with her in Spanish. Uh, that's and great. so that's what I'm working towards. Yep. Um, but so going back to interview here, uh-huh. I'm getting you talking a little bit more. <laughs> um, so what would you say is if you could identify like one travel experience, what would you summarize? Like if you could think of one moment where you were like, wow, this is just, I'll never forget this this experience in my life. There's so many of those. 
I'll just throw a couple of short ones. But um, we, so we were in Southwest Senegal. It's about the size of South Dakota. Mm -hmm. And we decided to go visit some other Peace Corps volunteers up in Northeast Senegal, mm -hmm. which is in the Sahara Desert. So we were in the savanna, green palm trees, uh, coconuts, all that, mm -hmm. to, the, to the Sahara Desert, where wow. it's just sand and, and uh, hot, hot, hot. And on the way, when we were coming back, um, <laughs> there were no bush taxis available. And a bush taxi is just a, a pickup truck with, with a metal shell put over it, mm -hmm. and they, they load 20 people into it. 20 oh people God. in a small pickup truck, <laughs> but you're sitting in the back, and, uh, and then there will be goats and pigs and chickens on the roof or under your feet, oh and there weren't any. Yeah. So we got a ride to part the way, we were basically hitchhiking, mm -hmm. and then we stayed on a, on a <laughs> flea-ridden mattress on the side of a road that somebody <laughs> said, you can sleep there. So we slept there, and then we, the next day somebody from some government agency had a minivan, mm -hmm. and they gave us a ride all the way to that car, which was like a 12-hour, 14-hour drive. Wow. So that was one. Uh, another one, we brought Jones, my wife's uh, brother, to Senegal, and he said, I want to travel like you do. Mm -hmm. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. Are you sure you can handle it? So we went out to the boonies of, of Senegal, and we met some people who were in a way remote village. We thought, we'll go visit them. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we, they said, the instructions were, take this, uh, whatever vehicle you can get, for nine hours, and you're gonna go past this river, this river, this river, and then um, you're heading toward Kedagu, this town. And um, 25 kilometers before Kedagu, stop and take, right after this little, there'll be a baobab tree and a bridge, and then take the first trail to the right. Now it's a trail, so the, bunch, the driver says he knows, but they always say they know even if they don't. So <laughs> we weren't really sure if we were in the right place. So we get off there with our one bag, and then we start walking on a trail, and it's a trail like six inches wide in, in the brush, going into the forest. And there's fire and smoke all around us, and we're thinking, we could burn up in here. We don't know what's gonna happen. Yeah. We come to a clearing, so we got her brother with us, yeah. and he's freaking out. Yeah. Like he doesn't know he's what's going horn. on. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. a total greenhorn. Yeah. And so we, we come to a clearing, and there are four women four probably 70 or 80 year old women pounding millet. Now it's Senegal, and it's rural Senegal. They don't wear tops, yeah, yeah. And, and they're old, mm -hmm. and they don't really care. Yeah. And so they're pounding millet in a big mortar and pestle. And so we try Wolof, Jola, I knew enough greetings in Pular and Mandinka. They didn't speak any of those languages. They spoke Boudique, but they didn't speak Boudique. Oh my God. So, one of them says, it sends a little girl running off. A guy comes back, he speaks Wolof. And we said, well, we're trying to go to this other village. He goes, well, I could take you there. I said, okay. And he starts walking. So we start following, he walks really fast. As we're walking, he goes, well, my village is at war with their village. So I can't take you past the baobab tree. But once we get to that baobab tree, I can point to you where they are and then you can go the rest of the way. And so we had to stop at the baobab tree. That. <laughs> and he learned uh, Wolof because he had been in Dakar working. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so then we get to this village and that's where our friends lived. Wow. And so we, we spent the day there and then we walked halfway to Kedagu, the town, mm -hmm. in the night. We slept in a circular hut that had holes that were about 
eight inches wide that, had, that rats used to go into the mud hut. It's an empty mud hut and they used to store grain in there. Mm -hmm. And we were sleeping there. So I got to sleep next to one of those and her brother slept on the other. So we were protecting my wife oh from my rats. God. But we were afraid we were gonna hit. And then the next day we were walking on the road and a herd of 250 baboons came up to us and we just froze and stood there and the leaders were checking us out. And they didn't get super close, but they got well, that door to you, which is 15 feet um, from us. And then after they checked us out, then they kept going. And then the 250 other ones, the moms and heads. babies, all that, they're all checking us out. And we're just standing there not moving. Because, like, what's a baboon? It could kill you. Yeah. But we didn't know. But they went on. And then we came to the river. We saw hippos. And I mean, that was another experience. Oh, my gosh. Senegal. Wow. So not only did you, like, because usually when I'm talking to people, like they might have a European experience. Right. I think the most extreme example was like Cuba to oh, yeah. some extent so far because yeah. you know, and I was during the times like Fidel Castro was still sure. around and whatnot. Yeah. But you were full on survival, like, yeah. you know, or did you ever have to like pitch a tent and like say, hey, we're just gonna make camp here tonight? Well, we didn't even have tents. We just, just, <laughs> just slept, slept places, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. So That's we incredible. had a lot of experiences like that. Oh my so Senegal God. was a neat experience. I mean, Remind it, me to come your way if there's ever a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I might be a good place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you'd be a good person to yep. know. Yep. Oh my goodness, that's incredible. Yeah. So a lot of great experiences. Oh my God. Japan was great, a lot of great experiences mm -hmm. and challenging ones and, oh um, oh yeah, I mean just a lot of, a lot of great stuff. Japan is on my list for oh, travel yeah. places. You yeah, definitely should go there. They are my top of my list. I just had a buddy, he's very much into food culture. Oh yeah. And he, his step-grandmother is South Korean. Oh, yeah. And so she's really helped him understand uh, kind of Asian culture, especially through cooking. Yeah. And he just did a trip to uh, Tokyo and yep. went actually into the remote parts of Japan's too to really yep. get immersed in their cuisine and whatnot. And mm -hmm. oh my goodness, he was sending me pictures through the whole time and I was just it's baffled amazing. about how... Because I think what's tough is within Western culture, we don't get exposed to that culture shock as much. It's always usually people adopting our culture, right? right. And so we very rarely have an opportunity to immerse ourselves in something that's just totally different from what we're used to. Yep. And I think Japan, China, and you know that Eastern Asian oh, yeah. area is just a so really great things. place um, to get that exposure. So I always tell my girlfriend, like honestly, I was like, if I pick up and go to Japan one day, like don't be surprised because yep. I am planning to do it. Yep. Um, and it's funny because her grandfather back in the 80s took uh, went and saw the World Cup there. Oh really? And so he actually went and he's like, oh, I've been to Japan. It's great. Blah blah blah. And I'm yeah. like. Oh, like see i was like your grandfather is gone adam's yep. going i was like it's time for you time for me to go yep. yeah so yep. uh, that is that is very much high on my Definitely travel list so i'll have to I'll have to send you a message like hey do you know yeah spot? absolutely i'll give you some tips mm -hmm. absolutely. Definitely. um so the other one of the other questions i have is was there ever a moment that you decisively thought that international education was going to be your career path going forward um well like I said, I didn't even know it existed as a career. Mm -hmm. So the year I was in France, I mean, there were people who sent me, but I wasn't really thinking I'm gonna work at a university. Yeah. And um, the, in Peace Corps, I had lots of time to think about it, but again, I didn't think of it as a career. Mm -hmm. um, the reason I applied for the job at the International Center was a friend of mine called me up. He worked at UCSD too, he worked at the, um, uh, was a Latin American um, culture, CELAS, mm -hmm. Centro Internacional de 
Latinoamerica, Spanish, I forget what it is, but it's a, it's a center for study in Latin America and Spain. And he said, you know, this job opened up. It sounds like you, you should apply for it. And I wasn't looking for a job. I was happy with doing what I was doing, but it's because he called me that I applied. So, I mean, nowadays you've got master's programs and a lot, it's a more of a professional pathway that leads to it. But when I was getting into it, none of that stuff existed. Mm -hmm. So it was really, um, they look for people who had the right attitude and the right experience. Mm -hmm. That they'd done study abroad or they'd done some international experience and they, they were positive about it and they wanted to work with students. Yeah. That was really what it was. And today, it's a lot more diverse. Um, mm -hmm. Having worked for a provider, I know there are people who are the the, the ones who help match people students up to programs. Mm -hmm. Other ones um, help work with uh, with their staff overseas. Mm -hmm. Other ones build customized programs. Other ones do the the paperwork for, for getting their applications in. Other ones are the business people, mm -hmm. and so and other ones are the managers and the leaders. And I mean. There are all these sectors to it, yeah. and so I think it's a little more clearly identified now. Yeah, but sure. um, when I went in, it was just totally somebody fresh. called me up, yeah. and I just did it. So wow. I'm glad I did. Yeah, I'll say. I mean, you're still here, right? <laughs> I'm still here, and I'm loving it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting because some of the newer, uh, I'd say, study abroad professionals I've interviewed, so people who've gotten within in the past five years or so. Yeah. One of the things that's been consistent with them is they identify how tough it is to actually break into the market, yeah. which I think is interesting. Yeah. Um, because they'll talk, I mean, no one I've talked to has been a Peace Corps and has uh, had to sleep yeah. under the stars a couple of nights, but um, <laughs> they, they've had you know, study abroad experiences, they've yep. interned, they've done the right experiences, they have all these boxes checked. And one person even uh, said that she, she applied for over 50 positions yep. and got a call back on two. Yep. And she considered herself a well-qualified you know, uh, candidate but, yep. and had a master's degree and you know, had all those things. But it was still so challenging for her to get into that first role. Yep. Uh, that would really allow her to practice and expand upon it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's interesting because in the beginning, you're right, some of the more senior people I've interviewed are like, yeah, I kind of just like, yeah. you know, I was, I was passionate about travel. I got exposed to it. It just fit my personality. I just liked it, and you know, I ended up staying in this for the rest of my career. Um, but now it's interesting where it seems like there's almost some barriers to it, which is yeah. interesting. But I would, I would make give two pieces of advice. One is look more broadly than university advisor and study mm -hmm. abroad office positions, mm -hmm. because there are there are program providers who have all kinds. You can be a rep. You're on the road. You're going to learn everything about that organization and about the offerings they have, mm -hmm. and about different universities, mm -hmm. which will help you pick the university that's the best fit for you mm -hmm. if you go that route later, or you stay working for a provider. Mm -hmm. So one thing is look at a diversity of options. Two is, especially at universities, if you can volunteer to help mm -hmm. with a, an office when you're not getting anything for it, mm -hmm. when they've got a job position open, you bet they're going to think about you. Yeah. And that's I, I've seen that work in study abroad. I've seen it work uh, science positions at Scripps Institute of Oceanography, mm -hmm. where they don't have many positions. And I know my mother-in-law was a marine biologist, and mm -hmm. she volunteered there mm -hmm. for a period of time. And then a job opened up, and they, she got it. Wow. And uh, so there are, there are things that sometimes that's the way to, to break into it. Mm -hmm. you know, because, and the other thing is, there's a misconception that people say, I want to do something international, mm -hmm. so you want to hire me. Mm -hmm. That's not how it works. Yeah. I have these skills that will help you do your job and do it well, 
and and I'll be a great employee following your lead. Mm-hmm. Now maybe you want to hire me. Yeah. But it's not the I like international, yeah. and there there are unfortunately a lot of people who have their blinders on and really aren't thinking it through, and they're mm-hmm. going. I like international, so you want to hire me. No, 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 that's what you want. Yeah. But you're not going to get a job by telling people what you want. You have to tell them what, what you can do for them. Yeah. No, that's, it's a good that's point. That's true in any job. Yeah. But, you know, it's in this one, because it sounds exciting and exotic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But most of what you do is not exotic and exciting. <laughs> yeah. It's helping somebody get some experience, but you got to have the passion for that. Yeah. Yeah. And you almost have to be prepared to take a backseat to it right. to some extent. Um, and I think you bring up a good point about that because I think often, at least from, let's say younger interviews I've done, it's more so, Oh, I just love travel. I love the yeah. experience and I wanted to help. You know, I had a mentor who was in a similar position who I saw and wanted to be just like them. But it's very much the, okay, this is what I can do. This is what I can bring to the table. Um, I think that is a very important distinction that I think isn't brought up nearly as much. And I think we could also apply that for a general. That's true for so many For a lot of things. But I think international, especially because um, there's so many factors and especially liabilities. I mean, you're talking about sending people halfway around the world in many cases. And if you can't provide or you don't have the skill set to handle those situations, not only will, I mean, clearly you won't be good at your job, but you're putting people at serious risk too. Absolutely. Um, and that is something that is, you know, not, not just safe for you, but not, not safe for the department and right. the people that and you're the, And the university over. and so yeah, on. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, so, but I think that's a great place. I think that's a great place to end it. I, I mean, think so I think too. The, the pieces yeah. of advice, it's like awesome. a battery. Um, <laughs> it looks like it went quiet on me, but luckily it's still recording. I still have, Looks like fifteen hundred hours. Oh, good. Uh, of oh, well, that's 